one of the, when, I, when I talk to people about, about the implications of this, we'll say something like, well, what's better than a soldier? And you say, a soldier who's 8% wolf. You're listening to Pardon the Disruption with your host, Tom Young. Hi, everybody. This is Tom Young. Hey, welcome to the show. Let's go around the room. This is Bart Gallo. This is TJ Young. And uh, Rohan's sitting this one out today. We're going to uh, today talk about some issues around genomics and specifically uh, the CRISPR-Cas9 technology. Uh, so most people are familiar with the Human Genome Project and the fact that DNA has become part of our um, popular culture when we talk about science. You have firms like 23andMe and Ancestry.com who will, for about $100, give you some DNA information simply by spitting into a vial and mailing it into them. I think 23andMe has got about 5 million users. I don't know how many Ancestry has, but several million. And people are getting more interested in DNA. So one of the things we wanted to do today was to just introduce people to this topic of uh, DNA modification using a technology called CRISPR-Cas9. Now, a lot of people are going to be turned off at first by this because it's if you're not a biologist or studied biology, some of this stuff can be a little daunting. So we want to today break it down so that you can simply have an understanding of what it is because I think what's most interesting for people to think about is the social, ethical, and economic implications of this. I think very few people are going to go and do their own research and start doing gene splicing and modifications themselves, but it's important to understand that this is going on in the scientific community. And as business leaders, um, people have a responsibility to start thinking about the ethos and the implications and the public policy around the deployment of these technologies. So it may be in a nutshell, just to give the answer up front, so we can kind of, we're gonna, we're gonna try and break yep. this down and build up to it, but just in, in a nutshell, this is one of the most recent and probably the most uh, uh, prominent and powerful breakthroughs in gene editing technology. So what we're talking about is editing the uh, the sequences of specific DNA or RNA sequences. So you mm -hmm. can really change what organisms in life are. So it has implications for healthcare, it has implications for agriculture, the way we grow food. It's it will change the course of humanity. That's what we're talking yep. about, and we're going to kind of—it's we're going to yeah. we're going to break it down. But that's kind of the answer that we're building towards. Yep. It's a, so the first thing is CRISPR. It's uh, there's no e in CRISPR. It's a it's a anagram. So it's, just, it's, just to con confuse people now, it's, so it's it stands for clustered regularly interspaced short palindromic repeats. Right. Which which in in, in another nutshell, it means hey, we found patterns in RNA sequences. Well, it's in, it was actually in the DNA sequences. DNA sequences. Right. So when they, when they sequence the, 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 the genome, they, they, at first one of the things they called sections of this, the, they said, hey, we don't know what this does. We, we get what this may regulate certain parts of the biological function, et cetera, et cetera. But this other part of the DNA, they started calling it junk DNA. And then they realized that it had structure to it. And when you look at the, t the term clustered, regularly interspaced, short palindromic repeats, it looks, and now in hindsight, we see that it's basically a storage array. And information is being stored in these palindromic repeats. And this is spe uh, specific to bacteria. Yep. So we're, 
scientists are and again this is all these breakthroughs always happen by accident right so everyone's always looking for new ways to inject medicine or hijack parts of the human body to um, affect healthcare because it's cost effective why would you build something artificially when you can maybe adjust something that it's already existing in our cells for a different purpose it's, it's an effective way to uh, disperse medicine to alter RNA DNA and there's been other technologies in the past that have done this right but they yeah, found this by accident they were studying bacteria DNA and they started finding these repeats, these patterns, and they couldn't explain it. Yeah. Right? But this is not unique to bacteria. The examples we're going to use are about bacteria and viruses. But DNA in and of itself is, you know, I was at a conference a couple years ago, and Ray Kurzweil was there speaking. It was a handful of us. And he he talked about, like, the future, because he's a futurist, right? And he's uh, got a lot of interesting things to say about about things like singularity. But he talked about... Um, DNA really be the software of life and creating a paradigm that uh, at some level arguing that it can be edited. And then when you, when you understand this technology, and it's a very accessible technology, by the way. This is not like only the most sophisticated labs can do this. This is actually somewhat of a democratizer and easily accessible. If you're a biologist, you could probably do this in your basement. They say uh, about a week's training for a yeah. normal researcher. So anyway, we, we've been as a group studying this for a couple years now, and it's been very interesting for us. So we're going to play a couple clips just to help people think through it. So what I think the first one we have teed up, TJ, is the Radiolab one. So, yeah. So I mean, just a shout out to them. They so CRISPR was uh, really discovered in 2012 or 2013, and but it started getting you know public attention uh, much more widely around like 2016, 2017. Uh, I think Radio Lab they have an episode that came out on March 20th, 2017, around there, called Antibodies Part One, and they cover CRISPR. Uh, they do a great job breaking this down and kind of break, breaking down the history as well. Mm -hmm. uh, I would definitely check that podcast out if you're interested. But this first clip, it talks about them finding the patterns because when they first found those patterns, they didn't know what it was and they were just suggesting theories and then they finally identified what it was. So let's play the clip. You know, these little... So the bacteria uh, had virus inside of them? Yep. Is does that, does that mean that, it, that a virus brought it into these cells? Does well, it tell you anything about the origin of it? The first recognition was this is virus DNA. Somehow, all these bacteria have little snippets of virus DNA wedged in these particular places in their genome. Which is a little weird if you think about it. I mean, these are totally different creatures. It would be like inside a human finding a little bit of mosquito DNA. Yeah, well, how do we interpret this? Well, actually, there was one scientist, his name is Eugene Koonin, who looked at these results and just said, okay, I get it. It's a defense system. So th this is a... They did two podcasts, right? If I remember right, on this, they do an update later so on, yeah. like about a year later. So there's two. Yeah. So let's put both of those in our show notes we because will, yeah. Yeah. Yep. if you're really interested in this, these are great things to listen to. They do a really good job. They're actually very entertaining as well when they talk about it. they they make it accessible. I think. Mm -hmm. But that 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 what, how we summed it up is w when they finally identified the pattern, it's a defense system. So why would they store DNA from viruses? So the, the, the battle between viruses and bacteria have been going on for many millennia, right? And they, the, the, the evolution of defense systems gets more and more uh, just nuanced and complicated, complex, so they can kind of overtake the other party. And this is the constant battle going on. Uh, they are essentially storing 
the patterns in their DNA so that they can find and destroy viruses more easily in the future. That's essentially what they're doing. So let me let me right. let me use the metaphor. Now we're going to play a clip from MIT McGovern Institute. That is a really good animation. We'll put this in the in the notes as well. But think of it this way: the uh, the bacteria uh, has this junk DNA, which we thought was junk. It's actually a storage array. In the storage array, think of it this way: they store the 10 most wanted viruses. Yeah, mugshots. Mugshots mm -hmm. of, and the mugshots are RNA sequences that match that virus. Right, so, so when viruses are single strand. They're RNA. floating around, and they see one of these 10 most wanted, they call out the, 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 the army, and they basically use this, uh, uh, basically it's a Cas9 protein that comes in, snips the, uh, uh, the DNA of the virus, and kills it. Now, what researchers have done is hijacked that process and allowed the self-healing properties of snipped DNA to repeat to repair itself. And if you hijack that repair process, you can go through and edit the DNA. And that's where we get the full term right. CRISPR-Cas9. CRISPR is the patterns they found. Cas9 is the protein that's kind of the DNA scissors mm -hmm. that kind of uses that pattern to go and find the target and snip. Yeah. And now to replace once it's been... Uh, adjusted artificially by human research. So again, this is a, a very well done by, uh, video. Again, it's on YouTube, about 2 million views. The Govern Institute from MIT. Yeah, we'll put it in the show notes. And so we're going to play a quick clip from this and see what this looks like. It's, it's, it's almost hard to believe, but pay attention. The CRISPR method is based on a natural system used by bacteria to protect themselves from infection by viruses. When the bacterium detects the presence of virus DNA, it produces two types of short RNA, one of which contains a sequence that matches that of the invading virus. These two RNAs form a complex with a protein called Cas9. Cas9 is a nuclease, a type of enzyme that can cut DNA. When the matching sequence, known as a guide RNA, finds its target within the viral genome, the Cas9 cuts the target DNA, disabling the virus. Over the past few years, researchers studying the system realized that it could be engineered to cut not just viral DNA, but any DNA sequence at a precisely chosen location. So, so just fact check myself, uh, viruses are not RNA, they're DNA, so we're all learning here. Well, so the RNA is the guide. RNA is no, no, the guide. No, no, no. Like so, so DNA stands for deoxyribonucleic acid. Right. Ribonucleic acid is one side of the ladder, so it's a double one helix. Strand, right. Mm -hmm. So that one side of the strand is RNA, the other side is RNA. Together, right. they're DNA. So, and and if you've taken biology in high school or in college, uh, it's a simple pairing: C goes with G, T goes with A. That's it. Yeah. And those two pairs uh, form all of the sequences across the ladders. If you've seen this double helix when it's twisted around in the animations. Now, we won't get into the fact that some of the, the cutting edges, they're starting to add base pairs. And they added uh, basically four more uh, c combinations, which start to create some Frankenstein DNA. I don't even think about that. We're not going to do that here. on CRISPR, maybe. I think episode seven is when we do this. But it's fairly simple. It's fairly straightforward. It's simple, but it almost sounds crazy when you watch this video. It can this be true? And so rather than focus on uh, – it's, it's just interesting to understand that this is happening. And so now we get into the issue 
one of the, when I, when I talk to people about about the implications of this, we'll say something like, "Well, what's better than a soldier?" And you say, "A soldier who's eight percent wolf." Now, if I can go in, because what they talk about here is they can actually edit live cells. This isn't like a, an abstraction. You can go in and do gene therapy. You can edit live cells, and I can create transgenetic species. So they've done experiments on animals. So, for example, they they experiment on a cat, and they put a jellyfish gene in the cat. Now the cat glows in the dark. Yep. Right, and so you think, well, that can't be true. Of course, well, it's happening. You can buy the fish at the pet shop and glow in the dark. Ten, yeah, ten bucks. <laughs> yeah, and it, what's what's profound about this is this is the first time humans are seizing control of their own evolution, our own evolution, oh, up until this point, and for all life, most of the evolution you call call changes of DNA through throughout history have been through mostly breeding and mutation, but now we're doing direct changes based on our own willpower. We had, I think we had, we had a uh, a single malt scotch infused uh, discussion on this going late last night. <laughs> so, That's probably the more interesting. We should have recorded that. Yeah, That's why. I, yeah. I don't. I don't I gotta, I, I, I wasn't, First four hour episode. I deny that I was there, but uh, but the the software of life here back to Kurzweil's line uh, argues that you know in software we can start to edit it, and we are, and now we get into the ethical issues. So it's cool to have a glow-in-the-dark cat or a $10 goldfish that mm-hmm. glows in the dark or other transgenetic species, but we start to talk about modifying our food, GMO. And you start to say, well, let's make a drought resistant, let's make a bug resistant, let's make somebody better, let's get rid of a congenital disease. Let's a genetic edit- disease. Yeah, or genetic disease. There's, there's something that's... Uh, uh, like you, you use cancer as an example. One of the ones mm-hmm. we studied was uh, in China. They were doing a cancer. So the the ones that are targeting now that are probably the 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 first round of CRISPR applications are for monogenetic diseases, where you just have to change one base pair combination and you're good to go. The more complex ones where they have to require multiple cuts, but for monogenetic, just that alone, one in 100 kids. This is from the Ark Invest paper, and we'll post that in the show notes as well. Yep. Uh, one in 100 kids born today have a monogenetic disease that could be affected by CRISPR-Cas9. Yeah. Yeah. Hunting, Huntington's disease, for example. That's a monogenetic. Well, uh, also, I've been sequenced on 23andMe, and I got the health report. And mm-hmm. the only one that I had, I had uh, no flags on any of it, except one thing was early onset Alzheimer's. I don't remember the rest of it. <laughs> so, That's a good bit. Where's the... <laughs> where's the t- High reusability. But uh, it doesn't. It's not a. It's not a. Uh, a it's not an indicator that says it's going to happen. It just says you have a higher propensity for it. Breast cancer is another one. Uh, we we've seen people act on that information. So like you know, celebrity Angelina Jolie got a double mastectomy because her mother died from breast cancer, and she showed up with a DNA test that said she had that same gene. And so it was a pretty radical thing to do based on that. But what if you could use CRISPR-Cas9 to undo those things that maybe are mutations in your in your gene sequence? And then you get into the issue of vanity editing. Yep. I want to change my eye color. I want to change the way I look. And so we already know that people will modify the way they look permanently through surgery and other things. It's not a strong yeah, leap do, to say that they'll do this as well. Do you think people see how quickly that shift from a repairing a tool we use for some sort of repair versus an optimization market uh, how quickly that transition will happen i think we'll even be surprised 
Hey, while we're in here making sure that this genetic disease doesn't manifest, what, do you want to be taller? Do I you want to be stronger? The longer or? delay is the first few edits, and there's already been a couple, and we can cover that later on. But once that doorway's open, I think it's not going to be that long before it's we start not because doing, uh, designer babies, and that, that's, that discussion's already happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, the Chris Kazakid video on this topic, designer babies, and uh, CRISPR, we have like a minute we Let's should play, it. which kind of dives into some yeah. of these ethical concerns. So this is a Kurs Kazagat clip. Uh, right. Kurs, they do a lot of good uh, videos on YouTube yep. where they try to make, uh, they try to break down very complex subjects into explainable yep. videos. What you gonna play about a minute clip here, Bart? Yep, uh, we'll good. put this in the show notes. So they have a great channel. Kurska Zagat is the German word for in a nutshell. So they summarize very complex topics with uh, nice animations. Regardless of your personal take on genetic engineering, it will affect you. Modified humans could alter the genome of our entire species because their engineered traits will be passed on to their children and could spread over generations, slowly modifying the whole gene pool of humanity. It will start slowly. The first designer babies will not be overly designed. It's most likely that they will be created to eliminate a deadly genetic disease running in a family. As the technology progresses and gets more refined, more and more people may argue that not using genetic modification is unethical because it condemns children to preventable suffering and death and denies them the cure. But as soon as the first engineered kid is born, a door is opened that can't be closed anymore. Early on, vanity traits will mostly be left alone. But as genetic modification becomes more accepted and our knowledge of our genetic code enhances, the temptation will grow. If you make your offspring immune to Alzheimer, why not also give them an enhanced metabolism? Why not throw in perfect eyesight? How about height or muscular structure? Full hair? How about giving your child the gift of extraordinary intelligence? And you could just keep doing that until we're not even human. That is um, very interesting, right? So you, so you can take this to all kinds of levels, all the way up to uh, the topic of cloning and human cloning. And so as soon as we start to do this whole notion of this is a, sort of the first foray into the editing of the sequence on humans. We've been doing it for uh, uh, animals. We've been doing it for uh, agriculture for a long time. And now the technology is making it available to do on live cells, and we can start doing it on people. So the ethics on this are abundant of ethical issues to discuss. And it's... The and it, it, one person can be against it, but it's it's the question of there's always early adopters and innovators, and there's going to be a group of people that start doing this. And if you're behind and you're not, you choose not to, it almost separates two classes of people: the genetically modified, more for, more right. so for vanity, more extremely so if it's not even a choice. Versus, there, I'm sure there's going to be an analog, natural revolt saying, "Hey, we have babies the right way." You know, and no painkillers, and and so I mean, if, if have you guys seen Gattaca with Ethan? No, Hawke? I was just yeah, thinking about that movie. I, it's an older movie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, Ga it's Ethan Hawke, Jude Law, <laughs> but it explores a lot of this. And like the the, well, the the main protagonist is Ethan Hawke, but he's not genetically modified. It kind of shows his whole issues with dealing with people who are modified and thereby superior. Right. And it's it's very good. That, you know, I would recommend checking but it out. Even uh, if you if you've seen Man in the High Castle, right. right. Uh, is a dystopian alternate future of Nazis in power uh, winning the World War II. But the Nazis were fascinated with eugenics. And, the, and the, they weren't able to edit positively. They were, they, they were editing negatively. 
meaning that anyone who had a, a defect of any sort would just be out. And that happened in the show, Man in the High Castle. If you haven't seen it, I'm going to give a spoiler, but you know, one of the kids there, was a Nazi high official's kid, had a defect and they tried to hide it because as soon as it came out, they'd have to you know, give him the gun and, and, and end his life, which is a negative editing. But now we're into this notion we can do the positive editing. It's, it's not science fiction. It's not uh, theoretically possible. It's actually being done right now. And I don't think we are, as a society or in business, talking about it. And you talked before, TJ, about the notion that the simple stuff we're doing is editing one thing, one variable. Yeah, even, even that is impactful. It's impactful. But now you start getting into multiple variables and you get into the big data stuff. Polygenic. Polygenetic edits. And the issue is who's going to be the guinea pig? Who's going to regulate that? Should we allow it to be done? And what? And can you stop it? Can you even regulate this? And I don't think you can. And when we get into, I think the second episode of the Radio Lab, when they talk about this, they they introduce the concept of gene drive, which is where you can start to edit things and then make it a dominant characteristic in the reproduction of that DNA so that it replicates throughout the system. And that, that's one of the ethical concerns. It's not like, hey, we're gonna do this, and if you're a guinea pig, you can sign up for it, but you have to deal with the side effects. It's no, that person can reproduce. You could essentially affect populations of animals as opposed to single organisms. Mm -hmm. So it's not just, hey, you know, trial and error, and if you mess up, then fine, It'll you know when the organism dies, you're good to go. It could extend indefinitely if it's out of control. So a good example of this, and they cover this in the Radiolab podcast, is the mosquito example. They can get rid of uh, West Nile essentially by targeting, uh, by pretty much deploying this gene drive into mosquitoes and then having them reproduce, and they reproduce very quickly. And they they estimate they can get rid of West Nile uh, within a year, within a couple years. And it, the question is, what does that turn into? You we're gonna we're now going to genetically modify a species, let them reproduce indefinitely out of our control by design, and then what? Right. How, how will that mutate going forward? Right, how, what else do we do? Yeah, it's similar to like the debate around giving people too much uh, antibiotics like every time they're sick, and then you just create this super class of um, bacteria. Right, and yeah. I, I think I misspoke. It's not West Nile, it's malaria. It's it's malaria. Like, malaria yeah. is the bigger discussion, right? right. But it, it's um, it, it goes with a, a lot of these breakthroughs where you have unintended consequences. So... Think of um, if I'm able to do, say, life extension and give everybody immortality, people will start to say, well, the planet's resources would be tapped out. It would be a problem. So you have these unintended consequences. Be a, what would be good creates a problem on the back end. So you have to think through these things. And some of the arguments from the Bain report that we covered a few yeah. episodes ago. I mean, like if, as healthcare in general gets better and lifespans extend, then we're going to have a higher population on the planet. Think, think the current trends show, right? Because yeah. the current trends for... Uh, you know, carrying capacity where we think we're going to level off, it's going to be around 12 billion, but that's with today's technology. So imagine how, you know, if the, if the average, you know, age of death is 120, you know, you got to adjust all those charts, change how agriculture is approached, global supply chains. It's, it's a runaway train. Yeah. Right. And, and, and people are going to say, well, I, w I don't want to participate in this. And I think that, that, that that's uh, totally rational, by the way, to say I don't want to do it. But this is a societal thing. And you may find yourself in a situation where uh, a common edit that enhances somebody for work performance 
or, or allows them to participate and it basically blocks you out by not participating. Mm-hmm. So I, I like the Black Mirror series. We've referenced that a few times on our shows. Uh, they, you know, when they go through that series, they talk about the unintended consequences. You can do a lot here with uh, the unintended consequences of CRISPR-Cas9. And there's no not participating. I mean, CRISPR-Cas9 just showed that very well because we're social animals. Even if you're like you say, oh, I'm not doing it, you're going to be at dinner with somebody who's going to call you a, a murderer if you don't. You know, it's, it's almost like the vaccination discussion now. If you, oh, you can get rid of this one genetic disease and you're not doing it because you want to be natural for your unborn baby. It's going to come up in conversation. You're going to be ridiculed, even if you don't agree with that. It will it will be introduced into your life. It will be a topic of debate yeah. constantly, and it's going to get heated. I think it's just it's it's picking up you know publicity now, but not even close to what it's going to be. Yeah, I mean, it's similar to debates that happen in uh, childbirth already. People detect different conditions in, in utero and have decisions they can make. Uh, and people have different ethical beliefs on how that works. I think. Right. Um, 67% in the U.S. of people make decisions on whether to have a child based on things that are discovered, um, like have the de- make the decision not to have the child if um, some sort of negative genetic disease is found, whereas in Iceland, it's like 98.9% any genetic defects found in utero and they choose to terminate the pregnancy. So there's, we can see global differences in current ethical debates over what current technology does to, to detect potential problems. So you're saying in, in Iceland, just to understand this right, in, in most cases, so in 98% of cases, if they find something, they will just yeah, terminate the pregnancy. Yeah, I think it's specifically around uh, trisomy 21, so Down syndrome. Okay. Yeah, so about 67 in the U.S. hovers around 70. And so we're saying abortion. Western... We analyze the embryo and then abort first trimester kind of thing because they can test it that. Yeah, however early yeah. they would detect okay. something like that. I don't know that detail. So wow. anyway, so we we introduced this technology to expose people to this. They may have heard it in the news. Uh, we tried to deconstruct it a little bit. I believe it's more accessible than you think to understand what it's doing. But think of it this way. We know that DNA exists. We know that it's the, using the Kurzweil example, it's the software of life. And now we know we have the ability to edit it. And I think what people can start to do is to think through, forget whether what the current technology is. Assume that it can be edited in a variety of ways. What are we prepared to do about it? What are you prepared to do about it? What should our, our institutions, our governments, our regulators, businesses, how can they be capitalizing us? How can we make this a force of good versus a force of evil? Uh, all those things. There's a lot more to come on this. And so it's, the more you educate yourself, this, you're better off you're going to be personally and professionally. And at some point, I think, the, I mean, just my personal forecast, I think it's the, the governments will get involved and make a move when it goes from an option to a need for the future. And I mentioned ARK Invest before. In the same report, they, they really go deep on the science and CRISPR. But they're talking about his applications, even beyond healthcare, which gets, you know, it's pretty interesting. Uh, United Nations projecting the, and we, we talked about population growth before. So without some of the stuff that Bain predicted in terms of, you know, uh, lifespan increases, United Nations are projecting, I think, population increase globally to like 9.6 billion by 2050. And even though we're at seven now, seven to 9.6, that means a estimated 70% added uh, food production output per year needs to happen to sustain that amount of people, which I, I don't understand the math there, but they said 70% more yeah. than what we're doing today every year to sustain that. So at some point, I, I see a congressman standing up and saying, how are we going to feed yeah. these developing countries? The you monsters 
in development hell, analyzing the ethics of this while there's people starving. I mean, this, the grandstanding that's going to happen, I think yeah. that's when the governments will be involved. I think that's going to really force the hand here when the data is shown publicly and it's irrefutable. Mm-hmm. The, po- the, the politicians are, 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 are probably not as up on this as they should no, be. No, no. <laughs> We're going to find out that uh, uh, I just think it's important for people to think through this ahead of time so that they can lead on the effort here. Technology is agnostic. Right, it can be good or bad. It just depends on the application, and I think in the, if you try to uh, restrict it, you're going to see an acceleration of the bad outcomes outpacing the good ones because the good ones will follow the rules, uh, the bad ones probably won't won't so much. But there's no way to stop this, and so I just think it's important for us to think through the implications of this. And uh, there's a lot more to come here. There's a lot more interesting stuff. We'll we'll, we'll probably talk a little bit more about this in future shows in terms of specifics about what's actually happening so you can get a sense of it. But I think in the meantime, people should start thinking about what are the implications for them and their business and what does it mean, whether you're selling insurance, whether you're doing the healthcare business, or just personally, you know, how would you react to this if you were having children or grandchildren, or you know, how would you even modify yourself if given the option? And homework is watch Gattaca. <laughs> We'll have a lot of show notes on this one because there's a lot of cool stuff to watch if you're interested in this topic. We've been doing this for a couple of years. Uh, we're, none of us are biologists, but we're fascinated with the subject. And I think it's more a lot more accessible than you think. And the tools out there, like on uh, YouTube and others, where you can go read a lot about this, people they want people to understand this. So go check it out. Yep. Great. Cool. Right, thanks, everybody. Stuff. Hey, thanks for listening to the show today. Pardon the disruption. If you enjoyed our discussion... I'd invite you to head over to our homepage at www.rumjog.com. You can go there and check out our perspectives page and hear more podcast episodes, read some articles. It's some pretty interesting stuff. You can get access also to our digital disruption series. This is a meetup that we do mostly in New York and New Jersey area where we discuss the impact of these technologies on our society and the way we live and work. We do this alongside of industry experts, in various fields like crowdsourcing, automation, and blockchain, uh, the, the, the technologies that are disrupting our world today. Anyway, if you like that, you can also follow us on social media uh, at Twitter on the handle at Rumjog. We look forward to hearing more from you. Thank you.